Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security engineering and related topics. I'm your host, Sean Falconer, and today I'm joined by, well, an incredible lineup of guests, basically the 1920s New York Yankees murderer's row of privacy engineering, Simon Fancy, Senior Privacy Specialist at Ontario Health, Jay Everett, Privacy and Product Manager and Engineer at Microsoft, and Mira Olson, Privacy Architect at DoorDash. And we'll be discussing the state of privacy engineering. Everyone, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for everyone for being here, especially Saima. Thank you in particular for helping me coordinate this and put it all together. We'll do our best to not talk over each other and uh, you know keep the audio clean. But to start things off, let's do a quick round of introductions. And Saima, we'll start with you. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, yes, as you introduced myself as Saima Fancy, I'm a senior privacy specialist here at uh, Ontario Health in Toronto, Canada. Um, I am sitting in between legal, data governance, uh, operations and security department, managing all health data that's coming onto our platforms. As you know, we have one centralized healthcare system in Canada. So Ontario Health is tasked in managing all that health data that's mandated by law for clinicians and practitioners to upload on our platforms. So I'm tasked to do a lot of the privacy and risk assessments of the data coming in and the platforms as they get upgraded with different uh, toolings. Fantastic. And then uh, Jay, why don't you go next? Who are you and what do you do? Hey, everyone. I'm Jay Averett. I am a senior privacy product manager uh, and privacy engineer at Microsoft. Um, I uh, work on the Office 365 Privacy Trust team, and we're responsible for doing technical privacy reviews for all Office 365 privacy products, um, privacy product, all, all Office 365 products uh, from a privacy perspective. And uh, so that means meeting with engineers uh, and meeting with attorneys as well uh, to determine GDPR issues, CCPA issues, or any kind of regulatory issues, but also just what makes sense from a good privacy program perspective. Um, we also do privacy incident investigations. Uh, and uh, so that pretty much rounds it up. Fantastic. And then Mira, how about you? What do you, who are you and what do you do? Thanks, Sean. Yes, my name is Mira Olson. Um, I'm a privacy architect at DoorDash. Um, I oversee our, our data strategy. Um, so that's really looking at the foundational level of data governance, um, ensuring that privacy is built into the way we collect and store data so that we can then subsequently ensure uh, subjects, uh, data subject user rights um, throughout the life cycle. Um, and it, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think we have a really good like spectrum of folks that kind of uh, with a breadth of, of responsibilities, different types of companies as well to kind of really dig into this topic. And I think a good place to start, which seems like a simple question, but it's probably not necessarily that easy to kind of definitively answer because I think it's a you know relatively new sort of evolving discipline. But I'm going to direct this towards you, Jay. What is a privacy engineer in your uh, sort of definition? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it seems simple, but it's something that a lot of people, including myself, have given a lot of thought to and trying to define because the breadth of what people do under the privacy engineering uh, umbrella is quite large uh, because there are privacy engineers that are out there. Um, actually, that are mostly software engineers with a privacy uh, bent or a privacy focus. And then there's privacy engineers really working on privacy by design work, creating privacy programs. Uh, and I mean, and I think I would kind of sort of throw me into that category of working on privacy by design, but also, you know, working really closely with engineers and uh, the technical privacy reviews. So I, I think it is it, difficult to define. And I think that's, you know, the IAPP spent some time working on a, and they, you know, had several buckets of, they're like, we can't really define it, but here's what different people do in different roles to call them travel privacy engineers. So I, I think that's kind of, uh, you know, in, in this, uh, an amorphous role uh, that has an amorphous definition. Mira, it seems like there's this sort of spectrum of, uh, of folks in terms of their background and like maybe how technical they might be that's working in the space. Do you think has, has this time has a, become a more technical role over time? Are there more sort of technical practitioners leaning on that side of the spectrum? Or is it 
uh, are we seeing something different or is it essentially consistent sort of across the board, depending on what like a company needs? I think that's a great question. And I absolutely think it's, it's company specific, um, to what Jay alluded to. I think we've seen in the past privacy engineering, um, defined originally as engineers who are then tasked to build a, a privacy enhancing technology, a deletion service, a DSAR service, something of that sort. But increasingly, we're seeing this demand for, um, for individuals with other skill sets that can sit in between um, the the engineers and the the legal and compliance framework. That's my my role as an architect is that of translator of of liaison who's really connecting and having to translate um, legalese into technical controls and technical challenges into um, into terms and and under. Uh, accessible ways for, for legal to understand our challenges. So I think there's there's a growing need for broader skill sets, for program management skill sets, for um, individuals with with not just that technical background, but I think that fundamental understanding of system design and architecture is still very much needed. And then Simon, do you think that the such as it is such it is a hard thing to define because there is this big spectrum that over time that will actually end up creating like new terms to define uh, sort of uh, this is person who's like a more technically focused like privacy engineer. This is person who's more you know focused maybe on like the sort of legal compliance has more of a legal background, and those will essentially become sort of different roles rather than kind of being bucketed under one term. Yes, I hope that our trajectory is towards that um, that space. I mean, right now I see privacy engineers sitting on the spectrum. One side of the spectrum, we're consulting, advising. Uh, whatnot, and the other side, we're actually building, and we haven't developed a consensus as to where we should sit. But um, I think more and more, um, it seems that it's more technical role that is required for privacy engineers. Um, but to Mira's point, they do need to be able to translate, speak languages between legal and comms and marketing and whatnot. And I'm afraid that that may get lost in the talent pool if we just say. Okay, privacy engineers, you folks are technical only. And you think that will that would be a shame because we'll lose that entire flavor of what's required of us as being translators, right? So I think the general trend will be um, eventually for privacy engineers to sit closer to product and operations versus legal. And I think that's a good space for them. And I do think that I hope at least in the future, the privacy and security will be amalgamated into privacy engineering, because as you know, data protection cannot be exacted without both fields working at hand together. You know, looking at data types, data sets, data use and whatnot, it can't be a siloed approach. So my vision of privacy engineering is a unification of all those folks. And how would you sort of differentiate between someone who's like a classic like security engineer versus someone who's working in privacy like where they kind of overlap and where are those things different um i think it's in terms of how data is handled your security folks are actually exacting tools implementing the tools to protect the data where your privacy folks are saying well let's look at the the nuances of the data what's the data type how is it flowing where is it flowing to who has access controls to 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 that data and i think it's extremely important that the two sides work together to protect that data ultimately and then be able to uh, look at compliance and regulatory frameworks and then be able to, on top of all that, speak to legal, speak to communication, speak to marketing and whatnot. That's what a privacy engineer does. And I think they need to be able to really be well situated um, within the organization. I, I, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still, because you said the field is so nascent, um, we, we still haven't come up with a good concrete definition. Would, wouldn't you say that, Jay? That uh, that's something that IEPP is still struggling with and so are the others? I think I think you're right, uh, Simon. I think, uh, I think, you know, using security uh, as as a one combining security and privacy into a single department or single, uh, not necessarily a single department, but reporting up through a, a single uh, uh, person is a, is a good starting point. But also using security sort of as a, um, uh, I guess, a messenger of what we may expect in the privacy world. I mean, because security engineering ten years ago. Uh, was sort of new, uh, but over the past 10 years, it's really developed and there's not, yes, there are people that are general security engineers, but generally they have a focus. Like you have some GR people that are more focused on GRC 
standpoint, which are more uh, focused on, you know, creating policies, uh, creating more uh, sort of framework, legalistic uh, things. And then you have those that are on the more technical side, actually doing security. They have people, people in the security focus working on cryptography, sure. or, or, you know, all kinds of different security engineers, but they have a focus. So I, I think, you know, privacy will probably morph uh, into something like that in the future where, uh, yeah, there may be a single title privacy engineer, but it'll be clear what the specialization is within that uh, single title. Yeah, I wanted to jump in. Um, I, I agree with what both Simon and Jay are saying. And to add on, um, Sean, you'd ask where they overlap. Um, as a privacy engineer, you know, I, I consistently see, you know, we're, we're reliant on tools that are traditionally deemed security tools and, and tools that security teams own, encryption, access controls, just to name a couple. And, and the question of ownership in execution um, is often a struggle. And it can, if as privacy engineers, do we have the authority to, to own processes where we're um, enforcing access controls across the business? Or does this live with security? And so having um, a reporting structure where privacy engineering and security engineering are um, at least co-mingled in some sense um, would would help with some of that difficulty. Um, I think just because to, to Simon's point, they're, they're, they're inextricably linked. We can't unpack that. And so we, we need that um, and, and treating them as two separate entities gets a little tricky. What are some of the challenges that organizations usually face when they are sort of two siloed functions that aren't you know, within the same reporting structure? I think it's the, it's the challenge of uh, instilling partnerships between all the different uh, parts of the silo parts of the organization. I don't think companies are recognizing that you need to bring all of them to the table. Um, it's just, right now it's like you do PIAs, you do DPIAs, you do threat risk assessments. It would be great if that could be brought together in one space so that product can come to one team. So ideally, in my, my vision is that it would be privacy engineering team and they would be handling all these assessments um, within the org. But I, I think the key hit there here is partnerships. At Microsoft, for example, it's it's separate. Uh, I mean, so uh, if, when I'm doing my privacy reviews, uh, I'm like, okay, was this looked at from a security st standpoint? I don't really know uh, without uh, you know asking and finding out. Uh, um, and then, you know, conversely, uh, the security team is often asking, hey, uh, was this looked at from a privacy perspective? So, you know, we've got, they're certainly partnering with our, uh, and that making sense. Uh, uh, like I, I can view things and say, hey, this is, you know, probably a security, uh, something that security look, should look at. And certainly security is doing the same thing as saying this is all ours should look like, look at, but, um, you know, there's separate assessments, uh, and, um, you know, I'm not having day-to-day -day communication with those folks, uh, as much as if they were like in the same department. So I, um, you know, I, I think there's different ways to do it. Uh, but I do think having it work with the same reporting structure, you know, could be a way of, uh, you know, sort of embracing that symbiotic, symbiotic relationship, uh, and, uh, you know, making it more fruitful. Yeah, you could present like sort of a united front. You know, one of the problems that or challenges I've seen as well within certain organizations is on the product and engineering side is not knowing where to direct a question if you're not sort of intimately and familiar with security and privacy. It's like you might end up sure directing your security question to the privacy team if, if they're sort of a separate entity or vice versa. And then it just leads to a lot of like back and forth and confusion. Exactly. I mean, the ideal state would be to have a department called privacy and security engineering, right? So that product operations can say, hey, this is the department that I need to go to. These folks will take care of all my questions. And then to Jay's point, within our within that group, you should have all the people you need. You should have all the talent you need that you can ping and get your questions answered. But the way, unfortunately, um, my, my past experiences that have been too, it's just that we are, we're sitting in little bubbles. And it's so hard to exact that communication, especially when you work remotely. It's the, the infrastructure within the organizations are not set up as such. And again, in all fairness, the, the field is quite emerging. It is quite nascent still. 
but it has amazing amount of opportunities and potential if developed correctly. There's a lot of smart people out there. We need to get them all on the table to really work on this from not just an IPP perspective, but I think ISACA should get involved in this as well. And some of the other folks, Carnegie Mellon's doing amazing work in this. It would be amazing to bring all these minds together and, and create this one big bubble called privacy and security engineering. Um, and that would allow a lot of organizations then to easily adopt that framework, right? As opposed to the way they're struggling right now, and they have little little bubbles throughout the organizations. I was I was going to say uh, because uh, because privacy is is such a new field still, um, resourcing is one of the biggest constraints I think we all face. And and because it, I have a, a former colleague who would refer to to privacy detritus or privacy pollution, right? There's so much more um, that that there 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 is that we have to deal with than there are individuals, and so the backlogs on privacy engineering teams are just endless, and that often ends up in we don't have the resources, so we're just this is going on the backlog. We're not going to address this. And, and there's a lot to be done where, and if we can create these partnerships um, and rely on, on, um, on shared resourcing, we're going to be able to scale what we do and our impact across the organization. Yeah. And it can be really difficult. I think when you're you know heavily under-resourced and you're dealing with a lot of inbound requests, your job essentially becomes like backlogging and triaging and being reactive rather than necessarily doing the, the things that you need to do, set up like sort of thinking long-term and being proactive. Mira, how has the role of the privacy engineer evolved over the past few years? Are there like certain trends or challenges that you've observed? Yeah, I'm probably the newest on this call to speak to this. Um, but what I have seen is um, because privacy is in the news more and more, it's um, the demand to get into the field is is increasing. And so we're seeing a lot of people, not just from the engineering side, but from program management space or from product teams wanting to um, wanting to come into privacy. And so what I'm seeing is people reaching out, searching for resources um, or trainings or how do I how do I learn about this and coming up a little bit empty handed. Yeah, I mean, the fact that yeah, Carnegie Mellon has a privacy engineering program, uh, master degree privacy engineering program that's graduating. You know, I don't know how many shirts they have in that program, but each year they come out looking for uh, privacy engineering jobs, trying to figure out exactly where organizations are hiring uh, for privacy engineering, uh, and and all that can be be challenging. And you know, uh, specifically. To, just back to the point that we just got for what specifically are you doing in that job? Uh, and uh, I, I think it has kind of more, uh, I think in the early days, it really was something that you know, may have been just strictly, hey, I'm really a software engineer, but I'm working on privacy tooling uh, as opposed to, you know, privacy engineering, like I said, can, can really run the gamut of, of a large, array of different things uh so one um yeah there's a lot of a lot of folks joining the thing would you know lots of different skill sets really so you know that add to the the way it is morphing because we've got folks coming in with either hey i have a lot of legal knowledge and some technical knowledge uh and you know how can i be a privacy engineer and then we got some folks with hey i've got lots of technical knowledge um and i do understand you know the basic premise of GDPR, CCPA, and other regulatory frameworks. Um, you know, how, how can I fit in the space? So, you know, figuring out where all those people should fit and, you know, where all this, what the roles and responsibilities should be is, is always interesting. Sean, I do think that, you know, we are seeing the shift from the more reactive state where if privacy engineering was born of companies needing to comply with, with GDPR and dealing with tech debt, we are trying to move towards that, um, shift left privacy by design um, mentality and 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 way of working, but I think because of resourcing constraints, a lot of us are still aspiring to get there, but but not quite there. Yeah, and to further to your point, Mira, when you look at role descriptions, but when roles come out, say on LinkedIn for privacy engineers, um, it's still a gambit of of requirements. 
And I'm just seeing more and more of it. And I don't know if this is the future or not, uh, but I'm seeing more and more of it leaning towards the security engineering side of things, data engineering. So you are required to be a programmer. You are required to have legal knowledge. You are required to have GRC knowledge. And I don't know how tenable that is. Um, because further to Jay's point, it should be a, an amalgamation of people who have a bit of both. I think that's an, what an ideal privacy engineering team would be. But then to Mira's point, lack of resources may be the reason why an organization, when they do their role description, has put it all in one bucket, which is a harder bucket to fill, right? So it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one in terms of how you define it precisely. Just do these unicorn people that have, you know, the technical skills plus like uh, understand all the frameworks and also the legal background, like how many of those people really exist? Is it realistic to essentially make that like your, your sort of first hire when you're trying to build out like a privacy team? Yeah, I mean, I'll take that. I don't, I don't think there's many of those folk there. Um, I, I think there are, uh, like I said, it's, the people I see in the privacy world are either, um, you know, folks with real strong technical skills that have built up, you know, just taking my team at Microsoft. It really is a combination of folks with that had really strong technical skills and then learned uh, about the regulatory frameworks uh, and, and learned privacy, you know, what they need to know about privacy. Um, and then there are folks and sort of, you know, I sort of am a hybrid uh, where I had some technical skills and then went to law school. But uh, there are folks out there that uh, were lawyers uh, and then, you know, developed the technical skills to be able to understand uh, everything you need to understand from to have in-depth conversational here. So I, I don't think it's realistic to be able to find somebody that has both of those out of the gate. Uh, you probably right. best finding one with, you know, strong skills in that. And then, you know, I think if I'm making a hire, having the passion for privacy really is, uh, uh, you know, the thing is like, I mean, you know, it privacy just kind of absorbs our world uh, and, you know, it makes everyday fine. Uh, and I, I think that makes you want to learn and makes you want to do that, all, all that. So you're going to learn what you want and what you need to learn if you've got that passion. So I want somebody that has those skills uh, and then has that passion when I'm making hire. Yeah, further, further to your point, Jay, those skills can be learned on the job. And we have to remember that privacy engineering is such a new field. It's We keep mentioning Carnegie Mellon as having a robust program, both at the bachelor's, master's level and soon to be PhD, if they haven't already put that into place. How many other universities are offering it? Until that happens, right, we need to have an open mind as to what privacy engineering should be. But I'm, tr I'm starting to see um, more and more of it being a very technical role. Can you do an end-to-end -end encryption? Are you able to do synonymization of data? You know, these are very hard skills required under the bucket of privacy engineering. I don't know if, if that's fair at this moment in time. Uh, and I've said this on other shows and other panels I've participated in. I feel like um, some form of privacy education should be part of like core computer science program as well. It doesn't necessarily need to be like a, a major that's offered, but it feels like you should at least just like when you, you, you essentially study law, there's like a, you know, ethics course that you might take. This is such a like foundational part of any software systems that we're building today in terms of how you, you know, collect, store, treat data, how do you secure it, that having at least some base level of knowledge and exposure doesn't seem like that much to ask from a sort of essentially every engineer that's entering the workforce. Exactly. And taking that a little further back to your point, Sean, I think we need to have academic and uh, leaders come with the, and meet industrial industry leaders and, and sit down and say, okay, different universities, you guys need to start up these programs in your engineering program and in your law program and in your comp sci programs, bring in privacy in your law programs, bring in a bit of technology and whatnot. That's the only way I see this gelling a bit more firmly as we move in time. But at the moment, it's fragmented. And Mira, what do you what would your recommendation be for people who are, you know, professionals that are looking to sort of acquire the skills or maybe they are working in privacy, but they want to upskill? Now, we mentioned the CMU program, of course, but other other you know resources or ways that you would recommend acquiring the skills to be successful in this space? You know, there are a handful of, of trainings and, and certifications out there that are that are worth checking out. Um, and of course, you know, IAPP's courses are um, a wonderful place to start. Um, also just general system design, um, systems design and architecture 
textbooks are, are a good place to start. But in the end, when you're in your specific job, I think it's more beneficial to understand the the back end um, and do your eng boot camp to you know understand how data flows through your organization because within that context it's going to make sense and that you're going to learn faster um, and it's it's more readily readily applicable. I think partnering with privacy teams um, on projects um, if you're not yet on a privacy team and wanting to transition to that's honestly how I I started in privacy. I was on a security team and I. I wanted to to get my uh, get some experience in the privacy realm, and so I started assisting with technical privacy reviews. And I, I, I you know, was initially learning on the job, um, and from that, you understand where are your gaps, uh, whether it's on the compliance legal side or whether it's on the the technical side, and you kind of have a better understanding of where to go. But if you're starting from scratch and it's just this whole breadth of, you know. I need to learn this entire field. It's a little bit daunting. So I would say jump in and it's better to identify what you don't know than try to figure out where should I go from here? Because I have 50 different options. Yeah. hundred percent what we were just said. Um, yeah. I mean, I think data flows are, are certainly a great place to start. Like if you're, I get a lot of questions about, Hey, I'm either. I've got some kind of legal training and I really want to get more uh, into the privacy engineering side, or uh, I've been in privacy program management. I really want to get more in privacy engineering side. Uh, understanding data flows, you know, that's a large part of what I do every day is looking at, hey, number one, what data is being collected, uh, you know, what kind of data types, but also just understanding the flow from the front end, the back end. Um, so. Yeah, looking at system design uh, pro problems and models is probably the best way to get that uh, kind of information. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think on the actual on the job training, it's really um, yeah, it's just looking to see what your role is and where it is in the uh, privacy engineering spectrum and figuring out uh, you know how to upskill from there. But if you're looking to transition from more of a uh, regulatory framework type, uh, you know, issuing either filling out DPIAs or ROPAs, uh, more regulatory stuff. And you really want to get into the, the nitty gritty of uh, uh, privacy engineering. I, I think, you know, understanding data flows would be a, a great place to start. Hey there, Sean here. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Partially Redacted. If so, please subscribe so you can always check out the latest episode and help others find a show by leaving a rating and review. Final thing before I get you back to the interview, if you're interested in privacy and security, have a challenge or issue you want to discuss, or want to share your expertise, please join the Partially Redacted community at skyflow.com slash community. All right, now back to the show. Do you think for people who come from sort of the legal side, that is like the, the biggest sort of challenge that they have entering is like just kind of understanding system design is, is, is that where things feel like very foreign? They kind of have to get ramped up there. And then on the flip side, if I come from more of an engineering background, what is the sort of legal tripwire challenge that I face uh, that people tend to kind of get uh, hung up on? Yeah. If you're coming from the legal side, I think it, it could be, I mean, just to give you an example. I mean, when I'm doing these technical privacy reviews, a lot of them start with the engineer saying something like, okay, this is a real simple I want to move um, XYZ data to uh, blah, blah, blah database. Uh, and uh, should that be okay? And uh, I'm like, well, number one, uh, what, what is XYZ data? Or take three steps back uh, and find out exactly what, what is the problem we're trying to address. So I think, you know, being able to walk, uh, being able to speak uh, engineering speak. Uh, and understand, uh, hey, what exactly are we trying to do from a business perspective? Uh, and then, uh, you know, walk them through exactly what data is flowing from to and from and what data types. Um, you know, that's a large part of, and I, I think Mira's used the word interpreter before, and I thought it's what I feel like, uh, what my role is for a large part of, hey, you know, because, because uh, I'll have an attorney on the call with me and they'll be like, Whoa, 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 I don't understand what's going on. And I, I'll say, look, this is what's going on. 
Um, and then the attorney can make, you know, some kind of GDPR assessment uh, based on actually understanding the data flows. I think on the flip side of that, from an engineering perspective, um, I think it's, it's just understanding uh, one, just why we have, well, understanding why we have all the data retention standards, uh, why we have to delete things in the in a, in a time frame, and you know, just understanding all of. I mean, GDPR is not. If you pull it all down, it's not that complicated. But understanding all the requirements of DPIAs, uh, understanding all the requirements of we got to have a mechanism to delete this crap, uh, having all all understanding of all of this. Stuff, um, I think that's that's where they come into having challenges. One has to be passionate about this area, first of all. That has to be the premise of all of this. And once you have that, everything else opens up a lot. And then the other thing that we need to remember is that there are a lot of great tools out there. There are performing these functions for us. And um, these are not tools that are taught in school. They are taught on the job. And once you learn them, a lot of these requirements, such as regulatory requirements like CCPA, CPRA, GDPR, those requirements are implemented in the tools and they can match up with when you perform data classification inventories and lineages, right? The, the tools actually match them up for you. So you're not doing them from a primitive perspective. So there is a lot of, there are a lot of resources out there. We just need the right folks to uh, channel them and, and um, propel them forward. I, I think we're, we're looking for amazing personalities to, to become uh, privacy engineers. And I'll just, I'll just add one more time um, how important communication and, and that, that ability to translate really is. I think one of the big hurdles from between legal and, and engineering is really understanding um, the end roadmap and priorities. It's often, you know, legal will come through. We have to comply with X or you have to, you know, make the deletion. We're going to now start deleting X type of data and being able to communicate um, to the legal team, if this is possible, <laughs> if, if it's technically possible in the first place, if not, how long it will take to get to that level of, um, technical capability. Um, and if not, um, if, if it is possible, um, but there are already 10 things on the roadmap for the coming half and 15 other things on the backlog, being able to communicate what else is on their plate, um, how to negotiate where risk is, and ultimately come back, you know, we, we, it's the resourcing constraint question. And so it's, it's being able to have that conversation with legal and Eng, like, what are the technical um, obstacles that we're facing? And what are the trade offs that we're making by doing x instead of y? And, and that's why tabletop exercises are so important, right, to preempt those problems that will happen. So if you look at it from a cybersecurity perspective, uh, your company suffered a breach, x amount of data has been leaked, we don't know where it went to, okay, we need to get legal engineering, IT, um, cyber, all of them to this tabletop and figure things out and start talking to each other. As you said, Mira, start communicating um, and see where the backup uh, servers, what, what are they like? What, what can we retrieve? What are some of the, well, for example, in Canada, Canada, what is OPC's requirement as to when we need to let the public know? Should we let the public know? Do we need to get our cyber insurance in place? These are the kinds of things, kinds of talks and communications that need to be done, right? Um, and um, there are preemptive exercises that one could prepare with for. Uh, for such uh, inevitabilities. Yeah, and I would think that uh, like communication plus relationship building is also really important to sort of avoid the problem of like this becoming the office of no, where you can understand like what, you know, what is the engineering team trying to do? What are the sort of business objectives? And then balance that with the, the legal requirements and figure out like what is, you know, what can we do in order to, you know, accomplish whatever the sort of product goals or the business goals are, but do it in a way that is not going to, you know, potentially, you know, put the company at risk or put someone's you know, personal data at risk. Wouldn't you agree, Sean, that, that that mandate has to come from top down? So, for example, the executives have to be to have the buy in and then be able to relegate that downwards throughout the org or laterally as well. And a lot of times, if you don't have that direction, people are apprehensive to talk to one another. Yeah, I think that's ideal. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about uh, bringing sort of security and privacy together so that you don't have these silos. I don't think you, you, you also don't want, even if you have this 
org structure with security and privacy together, you don't want them to be seen as this sort of separate silo that, you know, you put in your request and they give you back like a, you know, access denied or, you know, access granted. It, it needs to be more of a sort of like cultural identity of the company and sort of part of the way that you build products, going back to some of the things around like privacy by design and incorporated from the beginning. And people see this as not just the office of no, but hopefully like an enabler for the business. Well, I think this speaks to also the the importance of having the technical understanding as well as the legal and compliance understanding, because it's often not a yes or a no, but let's do it this way instead. Jay, do you think that there needs to be more standardization around like certi- certification or accreditation of sort of officially becoming a privacy engineer? Um, or is it maybe too early for something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think... It would be helpful to have some sort of baseline. I mean, there are IP certifications out there like CFT and ISACA has got some, but there's there's so many uh, certifications out there and you, know, I, you don't know what that, that really, really means. But yeah, at this stage, I think we're probably a little too early days to even have a, you know, since we don't have a clear definition of exactly what a privacy engineer is, it's hard to certify somebody right here. I think we need to have more, um, a more better framework out there. And then, you know, maybe we'll one day have a gold standard, uh, uh, of certification for that. But I, I think it, it, you know, potentially could be helpful in the future. Steven Mir, do you, either you have a, uh, a controversy, t- controversial take on this, or do you agree with you? I find it's helpful to have, um, a baseline, just a, a standardized certification for, general knowledge, um, especially for those trying to get into the field. I think it's a great place to start um, and gain some some credibility. I think um, once you've been doing the work and on the job, it's a nice to have. I don't necessarily think that it's imperative to um, to enhancing one's ability once they've been doing the job for a while and, and have trained skill sets. I, but I, I, yeah, I, I would say it's a nice to have, but I I'm not in the camp that it should be mandatory. But Sema, in terms of dealing with user data and privacy, what ethical frameworks or guidelines should privacy engineers follow and how can those be integrated into the decision-making process when it comes to developing products? At the moment, NIST is our golden star, both from a privacy and security perspective. Their frameworks are excellent in privacy engineering. And now with AI being in our lingual almost every second, that's the way to go. Um, and, and that's another thing we need to talk about is artificial intelligence and how that's impacting privacy with the amount of LLMs that are in, deployed in the workspace. Um, employees have not been educated about the privacy risks of dumping all the data that they've been, you know, copying, pasting, for example, clinical notes and records and getting GPT to summarize it for you. It's like, hey, no, stop, don't do that, right? That, that communication is not happening back to Mira's point. Um, and also not understanding this NIST frameworks. I mean, I think employers, it's, it's incumbent upon them to take these frameworks and put them in sound bites and communicate that to their employees and say, here's a one sheet, you know, digest this and we'll, we'll meet on it and we'll talk about it. But NIST is the way to go to answer your question. And in terms of AI, that conversation has to happen ASAP if it's all, or not already before ChatGPT Copilot is, you know, all over our work computers, which in a way it's, it's a bit late. It's already happening. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up AI. It's, it's important that we reach our uh, AI mention quota for any you know podcasts yes, we're doing yes. these days. But <laughs> it does raise an important uh, point in terms of how has it, this explosion? I mean, ChatGPT just turned one recently, as well as GitHub Copilot. Like, has this explosion changed the sort of the pressure that privacy engineering teams are facing over the last year in terms of like just scrambling to kind of figure out? What is my recommendation for the company to to deal with these in terms of whether sharing core IP with to to summarize you know health records on the ChatGPT or or some other thing in terms of investments in the LLM space? Uh, and I'll, I'll direct that to you, uh, Jay. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly been a busy year for me uh, uh, getting up to speed on um, LLMs. I mean, you know, they're they're around. I mean, machine learning's been around forever uh, and uh, LLMs have been around for a while, but, uh, you know, I didn't know that it was going to be a, such an impactful part of all of my privacy reviews until this year. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's um, one, a, 
I think it's hard to even know all of the potential privacy implications uh, without, um, you know, the, with, with the being so new. Uh, so I think that's, you know, one part of the challenge. Uh, and yeah, there, NIST has come out with some uh, AI governance standards, as Simon has, has said. But, you know, it's, um, it's, it's good to have that as a framework, but it's also, I mean, it, it seems like the framework, uh, frameworks I'm looking at are changing um, all the time. But I, I think the important thing is, you know, really privacy hasn't changed. Uh, and the privacy, the privacy elements that I look at are exactly the same uh, in an LLM space and as it is uh, doing any other kind of review. Like, for example, um, you know, any information entered into a prompt, uh, you know, that's content uh, that you don't, uh, personal data. And uh, what are you doing with that? And how are you treating that personal data? So, you know, not throwing that out the window because this is something new, uh, I think is important is that we still remember the privacy fundamentals uh, in this space. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, since we don't have any US-wide privacy regulations and, you know, we had a recent executive order related to AI, if, you know, maybe, AI will drive uh, some kind of a universal privacy mandate as well. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And it's a tough one from a regulatory perspective. I mean, how do you regulate a technology that's morphing every single day? And um, Sean, in your la- in your podcast, the last podcast that you had hosted, um, the the uh, uh, your your guest had said. AI has certain diseases and we don't have the medicines for them. How do we, how can we even project that? How can we, how can we anticipate that? And, and, and that's an area that requires a level of communication that, that needs to be precise and honed in. And, and that's another, another area that uh, privacy folks can play a huge role in, right? Yeah. And it's also changing the way consumers interact with technology. I know uh, I talked to the CTO of Algolia recently, and he talked about how they're actually seeing people, their search behavior is changing because for years we've kind of learned how to search in like, you know, short, you know, two, three keyword phrases, and then get like a hundred thousand, you know, blue links back to, to kind of understand what we need to do. But now people can actually communicate with things like ChatGPT in the same way that we might communicate with a person. And that changes the nature in which we look up information. But it also, I think, changes the way that we want to interact with technology because it feels more personal. And I think that leads to these, you know, potentially negative consequences where people overshare, not necessarily thinking of like, what does that mean from a personal privacy standpoint? I think besides the education on the on the business side, there's also a lot of consumer education that needs to happen. Absolutely. And that would help propagate trust, right? Between between the corporation and its consumers. How is it that, and I'll direct this to you, Mira, but how do you kind of stay ahead, like from the technology standpoint? Like, we, you know, we mentioned AI is one area that's exploding, but there's always tech innovation that's happening that could change the way that you need to be thinking about um, you know, guiding people from a privacy perspective, how do you stay ahead of all these types of things and realize, okay, well, you know, maybe this is going to have an impact to the way that we need to think about these things. I don't know that um, my colleagues and I have been successful at, at staying ahead of the way, more like trying to stay afloat. Um, but I, I think having these conversations is crucial. Um, engaging with other thought leaders in the industry reading the news, <laughs> listening to podcasts, these sorts of things, just uh, trying to, to understand the, the trends and, and what, are the, what are the conversations that are just starting to be had, trying to, to dive into those to, to understand their ram- potential ramifications for, for my own work, for my own industry. And then what do you think about, or like, how do you sort of navigate the challenge that we talked about earlier around, um, um, you know, sort of the office of no, but like balancing the need for protecting user privacy without be- things being like a feeling like a barrier to techno- technical innovation. Like I've even heard in the AI world, like, is there negative consequences to regulating too early? Uh, and will that essentially limit the ability for us to like innovate in the space and so forth? So how do we, what, what's the best way to sort of like na- try to navigate this this balance? I think we need to treat and this comes back to educating um, our engineers, our teams, our the population in general, um, what what personal data is and how how these tools can potentially 
um, be used and how your personal data can be used. I think um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll just I'll push, push that along. I think um, to, further to your point, Mira, about educating, we need regulators to be educated as well, right? How do you task a whole bunch of lawyers to come up with AI regulations if you do, they don't understand the technology behind it, if they don't understand at least at, at a superficial level how it works? So education is key. And at, at the rate that technology is moving at the warp speed that it is, some of the best resources are like your podcast, going to conferences like Pepper, um, even uh, uh, entertaining vendor demos. These are great ways to learn. Uh, I think it's the only way to learn because it's evolving too quickly in the industry. And that's the only way we can stay afloat. And, and, and that, that, that onus is on both technologists and on those on the legal side of things. We have to merge our and unite our knowledge base and um, we're coming to a space in time where we will we will have to collaborate at that level. If we remain to stay siloed, we're, corporations are going to fall through the cracks. I, I remembered what I was going to say, um, which was I, I, we need to, in, in educating our our leadership really, and and getting that that top down buy in. Um, we need to remind the leadership that that privacy is a feature. It's, you know, we're not going to, I have one of my, my mentors always says, you know, you're not going to, um, you're not going to launch a car anymore. You're not going to send a new car out without a seatbelt anymore. And privacy is about seatbelts. And so we really need to change how privacy is perceived in, in terms of we're not that no, we're not just a roadblock, but we are something that's a crucial feature that needs to be shipped with the product. It'll be less of a no if privacy is practiced all across the organization, every which way, right? Let's not build a plane while we're flying it, so to speak. Yeah. Can it also be, you know, a source of innovation rather than something that feels like a barrier to innovation? Maybe I'll, I'll direct this over to you, Jay. It looked like you had something you wanted to add. You know, it's hard to sell privacy, honestly. I mean, so as much as I'd, I'd like for everyone to share about privacy, uh, it's it's hard uh, to sell that from the top down. But what you can sell more easily, I think, is customer trust uh, and, and that you want your customers to trust your company. And if you lost your customer's trust because of some kind of privacy mishandling, then, you know, that's, that's bad. Uh, so if it's an element of customer trust, and I think, you know, to your Thing, how that can be a real value add uh, and an enhancement to a technology is, you know, uh, when I'm doing privacy reviews, you know, some of the material oh. frameworks uh, and other privacy frameworks, um, those are great. But, you know, my hallmark is, is this, if I'm the user of their product, is this product, am I going to be offended by the privacy in this product or not? Uh, and if I'm going to be offended, then chances are there's going to be other individuals out there that are going to be offended by that. Uh, so, you know, I feel like if I can help bake in good privacy uh, features that are, you know, maybe maybe the problem wouldn't be a GDPR or some kind of NIST uh, violation or, or didn't follow NIST guidelines or something like that, it's not the problem, but it's just, hey, this would be better. Uh, make this either just would make the user want to enjoy this product more. I think even um, that's where privacy can add uh, even more looking at it from that user-centric view is not only is this just maybe a privacy issue or something, but this is just a user satisfaction issue where um, I'm going to be upset with this. So maybe this is something you can consider and maybe it's something the engineering team just hasn't thought of uh, and can bake into that. So um, I think that's the way um, privacy can be one, enhance the technology um, and, you know, get more privacy enhancing features uh, in the technology is by showing how it can add to customer trust. Yeah, that's great. And then, you know, as we start to wrap up and we can go around uh, uh, to, to everybody here, but what is something that you would like to see in the professional privacy engineering over the next, you know, five to 10 years? And we can start with you, Sema. I would like to see it permeate in the in academia. I'd like to see more universities all across North America and Europe start a bachelor's of science programs, perhaps. Um, that could be one way of going about it. I want to see faculty of computer science, philosophy, engineering, law come together to make this happen because 
it's going to take massive amounts of collaboration. Let this not be just an industry's onus to exact this profession. Let this start at the source of it all. And while we are those of us who are industry trying to pave the way for privacy engineers, we need academia to work in parallel with us. So that's why, you know, I, I praise CMU for all the work that they're doing. They're doing an amazing amount of um, um, making headway and they are doing exactly that. They've got comp sci, philosophy, engineering, law together, working on uh, creating this program. And, and it's fantastic. We need more universities to do that. Yeah. They've kind of laid the, the blueprint that others can follow. And they've done a really good job. Uh, Mira, how about you? Yeah, I have to agree with with Saima there. I, more resourcing for those individuals who want to pivot to the field, um, and and with that kind of the more refined definition of what privacy engineering is in all of its ambiguity, in all of its various facets, so that somebody mid-career who does want to transition to privacy has a cleaner roadmap as to, okay, these are the skills I need to develop. This is what I need to do. And this is where I go to find it. Awesome. And then Jay. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to echo both of them. I mean, I think it's exactly that. I don't think there is a clear path currently to become a privacy engineer. Uh, everyone took a crooked path to get there. Uh, and uh, except for those who went and got their master's degree at, at Carnegie Mellon. But other than those folks, uh, all of us took some kind of crooked path to get there uh, and had to figure out how to get there. So it'd be nice if there was some clear way of, of getting there. If you're somewhere in your career, you don't want to get a master's degree at this point, but you want to go transition to be a privacy engineer. How do you get there? Uh, what's the roadmap look like and how do we get there? And, and and just to support that a little further, you have some private vendors out there who are trying to help pave that way, which is really good to see. I mean, we, I think all of us have taken some of those certifications and, and they're amazing. So until we get there, um, we all we all should take advantage of them. Yeah, like there's the privacy engineering course on data protocol. We've had, uh, you know, the, the founder of that company on here uh, as one of our first episodes. And I know that there's some other vendors that are doing more in this space. And, you know, I think I'll... Um, you know, oh, I've interviewed lots of people in in privacy engineering, and so many, many people talk about their story as having like accidentally fallen into privacy or something like that, and that's great. And, you know, it, it's a very passion driven profession, but it's hard to grow a discipline if you're waiting for everyone to sort of you know trip on something and then <laughs> you fall into privacy. We need a little bit more of a structure around it and a clearer path for people. And I think a lot of that comes down to. Um, you know, representation and actually even understanding that this is a career path for you. So even if you didn't have this as a undergrad class as part of a computer science program, but someone with a privacy engineering background, like spoke at your university at some point, so you could even understand that, oh, this is a job that people have that might actually lead to some, you know, positive impact. But Sema, Jay, Mira, I want to thank you so much for being here. This was a really fascinating uh, conversation. I really like your recommendation about what you're hoping to see from in the next five to 10 years. I think it, it would be a foundational way to really build for the next generation that would have meaningful impact to our industry in a very positive way. Thank you. Thank you. This was amazing. Thanks. Cheers.